you. You guys know what time it is. It's a very somber time here at the Shaw's Law Podcast. Devin Eugene Booker, Christopher Michael Paul, and DeAndre Francis Ayton could not get it done against Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks. That ended the NBA season. The Bucks won the championship. And I, Rob Shaw, the pod god, Harry Potter, have to eat a little bit of crow because I have consistently shit on the Bucks at every turn. And I'm here to fucking double down. There's still the Milwaukee sucks. Nah, I'm kidding. Um, Giannis and them boys really played great basketball. They played with a level of physicality that the Suns could not match, particularly from Giannis, uh, PJ Tucker, and Drew Holiday. Like those guys, Giannis's physicality offensively was just too much. Like, he was overpowering. Then, um, Drew, he was just so physical with CP and D-Book, and he forced countless timely turnovers or tough shots. He had the big strip on D-Book in Game 5. Um, he was in CP shorts. He was, he did what they brought him in there for. He wasn't amazing offensively consistently but he had some big games but he always brought it on the defensive end there's been talk of is this the end of bag twitter uh meaning like people who say Giannis doesn't have a bag no it it is not the end of bag twitter bag twitter is simply hey we like aesthetically pleasing basketball and we don't think this guy plays it like Nobody has ever said that Giannis is bad, or at least I haven't. I said that his game is ugly, but the dude can score, and he's very good. He just has an ugly game. Like, his dribble's clunky, his jump shot's ugly, but in transition, he can't be stopped. He's a beast on the boards, and there's been, like, very noticeable improvements in his, like, short to mid-range jumper, like that post seven to 13 footer he shoots that really comfortable it looks a lot more fluid than the rest of his shots and he had a 50 burger in a closeout game of the nba finals he had three 40 burgers in the finals like i might think his game is ugly but you know what he gets for that it was a 50 piece mcnugget in the closeout of the nba finals That is a dick-on-the-table moment if we have ever seen one. Like, that is schlong everywhere, man. They could not stop him. And the free-throw shooting, he was like 12 or 14 or something. And he shot it so much better at home. But he shot He improved, like, a lot throughout the playoffs. Like, they were doing the count thing. And sometimes I felt like the count helped him get a rhythm. But that that was an amazing finals performance for a dude who looked like he might have ended his season a few weeks ago when his knee bent back. He misses two games versus the Atlanta Hawks. And then 
he's back and he looks like the first points of the finals for him were an alley oop. Like he's looked he looked good, but gradually he got better and he was just overwhelming for the Suns. From a Phoenix perspective, Booker and CP had a really tough time like really delivering a big game together. And then I don't know what's up with CP. Like uh, people were saying his wrist hurt. I'd never seen him just lose control of the ball on his own so much as I did in this series. Um, I talked about it on the last pod, but even last night, one time CP goes to attack and the ball just flies into the backcourt. He just completely loses the handle. It was unforced. Nobody did anything. Just flew out of his hand. And it didn't fly all the way to the backcourt. Jay Crowder caught it at about half court and then had to launch um, probably like a 45-footer. But, like, I've just never seen CP, like... It was like the Monstars just kept grabbing his powers once he went to put the ball on the floor. Um, I think Phoenix is in trouble. Like, this was CP's window just because... It was a weird season. There were a ton of injuries. Like, things just broke right for Phoenix. And they need another guy offensively. Um, Aiton is cool, but the thing about Biggs is sometimes it's hard to get them the ball down the stretch. And then I don't think Aiton is really a throw-it-into-me type of big. Like, he's not an offensive hub type of big. Um, offensive hub type of bigs are like the Joel Embiid's and the um, Nikola Jokic's, even Carl Anthony Town. Like, hey, this guy's good for 22 plus and he'll create on his own. Um, I don't think DeAndre Ayton is in that mold. He's very good, but he's more in the DeAndre Jordan, Tyson Chandler mold. Um, but I'd, I'd also like to say that he, I think he's much better offensively than those two. Like, he has more touch, and um, he's a very good free-throw shooter for a big. But they needed another guy who could create his own offense, Uh, particularly with CP struggling. Like, book, CP, and then campaign. But campaign is not supposed to be your third best creator. He's a great story, and he's worked his ass off to become a good NBA player. But he's not supposed to be... All right, CP and Booker at, like, Mikhail Bridges' internal development will mean a lot for Phoenix, but I don't know that he's ever going to be a put-it-on-the-floor, consistently-create-for-his-own type of guy. Um, like, it, it's, it's tough to find those guys. It really is, like, it's tough to, like, it's tough to find superstars, but it, it can be really hard to find... Um, shot-creating role players. Like, uh, Jordan Clarkson is a good example of one. Um, who else? Shot-creating role players. Like, they just needed more guys that can help, can do things when Drew Holiday is in CP or Booker's uh, shorts. But, like, I just got to give so much credit to Giannis. Like, his game is still ugly. I'm, I'm going to double down on that. Like, his game is ugly, but 
he was so he worked so hard. Like the blocked shots in Game Six, like I can think of two uh, big blocks on uh, Devin Booker late in the shot clock. Booker shoots a fadeaway, and he blocks it. And it should have probably been two points the other way for the Bucks. But like that shot clock rule is so weird. Like sometimes they're like, "Oh man, uh, it's a shot clock violation," and we stop the ball. Like even though the other team has it, and other times they're like. Oh, it would have been a shot clock violation, but you guys got it, so go. So in this example, they uh, blew the whistle. But later on, the P.J. Tucker launch from almost half court, um, it hits only the backboard, and the Bucks get it, and they just play on. And I've always thought that rule is weird. Like, what is the rule? Uh, Devin Booker dusted somebody off at the top of the key and goes in for a layup, and Giannis meets him uh, at the rim and just spikes it back. Like, he was... He just wanted it so bad, and you could you could see that, like, there were times where he was tired, but he knew, look, the finish line is right here, and I'm not going out without getting what I need. Once again, 50-burger in a closeout game. You know how fly that is? Um, they made some really big moves this offseason that really paid dividends. Obviously, the Drew Holiday one was the biggest one. He was awful in Game 7 against the Nets until he wasn't, where he made... He just started scoring, and he still played really good defense. But in this series, there may be something wrong with Chris Paul's wrist, but he essentially took Chris Paul out of this series for long stretches. And then he did the same to Devin Booker at times. But another one is Bobby Portis, man. Like, he's an example of somebody that can create on his own. Like, he, you don't want Bobby Portis going nuts. But Bobby Portis has the kind of confidence where he's like, bitch, I'm Bobby. I can put it on the floor. I'll shoot this one. And the Suns just didn't have enough of that, uh, for lack of better term, like, enough of that dog. Like, they didn't have enough shot creation, but then... P.J. Tucker and them were just so much more physical than Phoenix the whole series. Like, while D-Book is complaining about not getting calls, the Bucks are just sort of fighting through. Like, they played tougher and more gritty and more physical. I gave Brooke Lopez a shout-out last game, in, or last pod. Man, I really think I'm still a hooper. Like, I think a podcast like Game Yeah, last game I shouted out Brooke. But once again, like, he's the person that played that I'm most happy got a ring. Like, him and PJ Tucker, it's cool, but it's Brooke. I've made no, I've had no issue calling them the Milwaukee Sucks, um, the fake best team in the league, uh, with the fake best player, like, all that stuff. And, like, the only dude that I really do genuinely. Like, really fuck with on their team. Dante DiVincenzo didn't play. Got hurt in the first round. So, that's kind of trash. Um, Giannis was just so good. And now, can well, first of all, Giannis and his two brothers all have chips now. That's pretty, pretty fly. Like, me and my brother and my other brother all got rings. And we've talked about Giannis's resume. 
because he's building a crazy resume. Uh, I talked about this maybe mid-season uh, after he won the All-Star Game MVP that, like, yo, Giannis's resume is starting to look nuts. Well, it's only getting crazier. He is an NBA champion. He's the finals MVP. He's a two-time league MVP, five-time All-NBA, five-time All-Star, the All-Star Game MVP, a Defensive Player of the Year, and a Most Improved Player Award. That nigga's list is nuts. And he's only 26. And, like, I don't... I don't think that they're going to repeat. I don't think that they should even be the favorites going into next year. But to have accomplished all that at the age of 26 in the world's best league when you used to sell shit on the street and now you and your two brothers have reached the pinnacle of the sport of the sport you guys love in the best league shit like all three of them making it to the league is crazy to begin with now they've all won a ring and Giannis is one more time let me just read y'all his list one more time he was the most improved player in the league then he was the defensive player of of the year. This year in the All-Star game where it's all the stars, I mean the name is in the title, he was the MVP. He was the best player in the league according to the media two years in a row. He won back-to-back MVPs. Now he is an NBA champion. Oh, and throwing his finals MVP. His list is nuts. Like, that is a bona fide... That list is crazy. Like, oh my god. And his game is still ugly. That's what's nuts. The dude still has an ugly game. And he had 50 in a closeout game. That's an all-time dick-on-the-table moment. So I, I I can't give enough credit to Giannis. Like, man, that was that was amazing. It sort of sucks that the Sun like to me it sucks for the Suns because like I was obviously rooting for D B uh for Devin Booker and CP three, um, Mikhail Bridges. Like I, I just wanted to see them win. And like I said, I think the Suns window is closed, but You've got to just be impressed with what Giannis and Chris Middleton and Drew were able to do. Chris Middleton hit a lot, a lot of, like, big, big shots. He sort of... He sort of reminded me of a better version of Jason Terry. Like, if Giannis was the Dirk role... This was the Jason Terry role, and he just made big shot after big shot. Like, every time Phoenix made a run or tried to apply pressure in this series, it felt like it was um, Middleton stepping on their neck from 17 feet. Dribble hard right, fading to the baseline. Schlockatow! And there were some amazing moments in this series. Um, the block on DeAndre Ayton. Uh, the alley oop, uh, from Drew to Giannis, like it, 
it was fly. Devin Booker had two 40-point games. Giannis had two 40 balls and a 50 ball. This was definitely a win for small markets. Like, it shows that you can have electric basketball with just basketball players. It doesn't matter how big the market is. And that should be something we should have known. Like, LeBron made Cleveland rock. Like, that was electrifying basketball, and it was from Cleveland because LeBron and Kyrie Irving were there. So, outside of the NBA Finals, because I think that's everything, it sounds like Kawhi Leonard has a torn ACL. But, like, you never know with Kawhi, but, like, that's crazy like first of all I don't know if it was the Clippers that played this so close to the vest or if it was Kawhi and his people but like there were talks like yeah Kawhi could come back in this series man if his ACL was torn and he had people believing that he could possibly come back that Kawhi needs to be in charge of all of America's secrets that shit will never leak the the war codes nothing um Bradley Beal is in the COVID protocol, and he's going to miss Team USA, and I believe the same thing for Zach Levine. And they were placed with uh, Keldon Johnson, my guy, Kentucky guy, and JaVale McGee. And I just want to say a couple quick things about both of them. First of all, I've probably told this story on the pod, but I'm going to just, I'll tell it again really quick. When... Duke in Kentucky played in the Champions Classic the last time, and Duke had Cam Reddish, R.J. Barrett, and Zion Williamson, and they beat the dog piss out of my boys from Kentucky. Keldon Johnson was the only dude on the court that looked like he was not scared of them. Like, he looked like, yo, I belong right there at this level. Like, as good as these guys are, I belong. I'm not scared. I'm here to hoop. And I've always loved him for that. Um, actually when Duke got Cam Reddish as a recruit, um, we got Keldon Johnson a couple days later and I saw him playing. I was like, Oh no, I like this guy. And it made it like feel better. Like, no, this guy can compete. Like Keldon's really good. He's going to play a role for team USA. And I hope he picks up so much stuff from being around the Kevin Durant's of the world. Like, I just hope he learns and has, like, a giant season for the Spurs. And he's constantly improving. I know Pop is the coach of Team USA, so I'm sure that had something to do with him bringing in Keldon. Keldon played for the select team. But that dude's been working his ass off, and I'm happy for him. And then JaVale McGee. What a career JaVale McGee has had. This dude was on the Washington Wizards when... Gilbert Arenas pulled out guns. He's probably the 90% of the inspiration for Shaq in a fool. And then this dude has just turned into a multiple-time NBA champion, and he has a real chance to be an Olympic gold medalist. Like, Team USA has had its struggles, but I would still say that they are the favorite over the field, and I would comfortably take them against the field. So it's just, like, JaVale McGee showed that, hey, you can work and you can change the perception of you around the league and your reputation, and he has turned into a really good player. Like, the reason Team USA brought him in 
is because that he brings energy, he blocks shots, and he knows how to play a role. Very similar to Keldon Johnson. Hey, this guy knows how to play a role. Run the floor hard. Knock down the open three. Defend your ass off when you're out there. They brought in two guys that know how to play a role. Um, dudes getting COVID while being fully vaccinated, it's a little stressful for me. Like, what did we get these shots for if dudes are still going to catch COVID? Um, there's been reports of a Dame Lillard trade request. Dame Lillard denies those reports. So let's just sort of keep an eye out on the Dame Lillard situation. Um, I've been listening to the Ringers podcast on, uh, it's on the basketball, the book of basketball 2.0 feed about Len Bias. And I have a question and I'm just going to throw it out in the air. And I swear I'm not trying to be a dick because like, I feel like every time somebody has passed away, you can't say something. But I think this question needs to be asked. First of all, I highly recommend the podcast. Uh, it's What If, the Len Bias story. It's on the Ringers Book of Basketball Podcast 2.0 feed. So they there's so many people saying that Len Bias could have competed with Michael Jordan. Or he would have been somewhere between Jordan and James Worthy. And those are both Hall of Famers. Shorefire Hall of Famers. Okay. That's fine if that's what you believe. Now, my question is... If everybody believed that this guy was a Shorefire Hall of Fame talent... Because that's what the story is saying. Is that he could have rivaled Jordan and he was a Shorefire Hall of Famer. And he was going to push the Celtics back into the next era. Well, we never saw him play NBA basketball. So if you believe he was a Hall of Famer or a Hall of Fame level talent, then you must have believed it at that time. Right? That makes sense. I hope it makes sense. So what did y'all think about Brad Doherty, who went number one in that draft? What did we think of Brad? If If everybody is saying the dude that went number two in this draft was a surefire Hall of Famer, what do we think? What was the consensus on the guy who went number one? It was a clearly multiple time All Star, but if the dude, if everybody's saying the dude that went two was a surefire Hall of Famer, a lock, then what were they saying about Brad Doherty in those times? Like, I gotta know. They must have been saying, yeah, Brad Doherty is Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Because if the dude, if the dude number two is a surefire lock to be a Hall of Famer and compete with Michael Jordan, then why wouldn't he go number one? That means the dude ahead of him must have really been that dude. The dude ahead of him must have been him. Big letters, like capital H-I-N. Him, him, him. So I would love to talk to somebody that was like around then and get what the... What was the scoop on uh, Brad Doherty? I might, I might go talk to my pops, actually. Like, my pops loves sports. He loves the ACC. Uh, Len Bias and Brad Doherty both played in the ACC. 
So I might need to talk to my pops and my uncles because I need to know. Because if Len Bias was going to be somewhere between James Worthy and Michael Jordan, that, that sounds like the number one pick to me. Like even in a big man dominant league in a big man dominant era, that sounds like the number one pick to me. But he went number two. I don't know. I've been thinking about that for quite some time. So I did want to just mention that. Maybe I'm wilding. You guys tell me. Like, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say about about that, honestly. Like, I know it was a different time. And I know big men ruled. But if everybody thought so highly of him, I'm really going to need to know what Sun was like. I'm going to need to know what the dude picked ahead of him was like. And maybe it's just simply a big man thing. Because we watched Kevin Durant. I watched Kevin Durant with these two eyes and my glasses to make sure that my vision was proper. And I knew he was the business. And I could still see how some teams wanted Greg Oden because he could be a defensive anchor for the next 10 years. But in hindsight, the pick was Kevin Durant and it probably always should have been Kevin Durant. Like, I think... I think we should just know. I think uh, Olajuwon at one is fine, but it probably should have been Jordan at two. Like sometimes I think we get too caught up in size and don't just take the best basketball player. Or Hooper, because who knows what uh, Yoda's talking about now. There's Hoopers and basketball players, but some of the best basketball players in the world aren't hoopers nigga what like I, I i get what he was trying to say like i i get it like like jamal crawford is what you call a hooper because like jamal crawford is gonna pull or maybe i don't get it but like my in my estimation is like a hooper is somebody that just yo they're gonna pull up wherever like they go on vacation and their gym shorts and their kicks come with them and you don't need to run an offense for them. Like, they can get their own. They're going to get busy. And a basketball player is, I guess, a little bit more fundamental. Like him saying, Rashad Phillips saying that Tim Duncan wasn't a hooper. Um, I sort of understand it. Like, ugh. saying a top 10 dude of all time isn't, something basketball related is weird to me, but also like how Jamal Crawford's never going to walk around away from the game. Everybody talks about, yo, Jamal Crawford's going to be pulling up to the Y when he's 65. That's a hooper. Like how Tim put down the ball. Like Tim was a basketball player. I, I think, uh, I think I understand what he was saying. I, I, the shit sounds stupid to me to begin with. Like it, it's dumb. Like, it's saying Clay Thompson isn't a hooper. Like, I guess hoopers have to have just, like, a little bit more swag. Like, you're just, like, Tim and Clay are, like, kind of very fundamental and a little basic. Not in a bad way, like, just, I can kill you with the basics. Bank shot. Um, coming down off a pin down. It's a curl. It's catch and shoot. It's 
765 points on four dribbles. You know what I mean? So, that's everything NBA related. You know it's my time of the year, baby. I love the basketball tournament. TBT, hit me up. Let me interview a couple people. Let me pull up to the game and talk my good shit. I love the basketball tournament, and I've always been a huge proponent of the Elam ending. I actually believe if NBA games go to double overtime, they should use the Elam ending. I, I just fundamentally believe that. Um, these guys get exhausted, and we go into overtimes where there's just so many missed shots because dudes are exhausted. Let's force them to make a couple shots. Only in double overtime. Um... Like, if they didn't settle it in the first overtime, second overtime, double OT. Because normally when games go to, like, four or five OTs, it's a lot of missed shots. Like, there's excitement for, oh, man, here's the game winner, but it's they never actually make it. You know what I mean? So, ending double overtime games on a made shot is fly. But... I've been watching a fair amount of the TBT. I haven't caught Team USA yet, but I very much plan to. I think that is just about everything. Once again, I'm Rob Shaw, a.k.a. Harry Potter, and this has been the Shaw's Law Podcast, and it's a wrap for the NBA season. Look out for some fun draft content and off-season content coming soon. And like that, we out.